Yeah, February 7th. This is the right step. New Jersey governor lifts mask mandate for schools and daycare starting on March 7th. That is, that's less than two weeks. And in less than two weeks, MSNBC went from getting rid of mask mandates is taking taking uh, everything going back towards Trump, right? To all of a sudden, it's the right thing to do. Now, I know that this was transparent, but we were telling you as we got closer to the midterms, you're going to watch some of these COVID restrictions go away. The moment they could politically do it, that's what, what was going to happen. The mandates for masks were going to go away. Mandates in schools were going to go away. You were going to see vaccine mandates and all of that stuff go away. Leanna went for crying out loud. I just told you a couple weeks ago, she was she was talking about forcing N95 masks on everybody, including kids. And all of a sudden, she supports getting it away from federal government regulations and making it a decision by the family. Interesting timing, right? Friendly reminder, they had nothing to run on. So they tried to make a big deal about the Supreme Court. They noticed they weren't getting any traction with the Supreme Court because... The likely scenario is that you're just going to replace Justice Breyer with another justice similar to him anyway. The uh, the makeup of the court will not shift. It will not change. So that isn't a fight that they were able to get any traction on publicly. But they needed something to run on. They tried to make it about that. just didn't work. Justice Breyer is probably rethinking retirement at this point because of it. And then... Now we got to go with the uh, with the mandate stuff. We're gonna you know, we're gonna start opening up these states and everything else. I had this article I was holding on to. I didn't get a chance to get to it, but it was it was an article basically talking about how you know you have all of these these retroactive okay retroactive policy decisions. Now they were gonna blame Trump for the mandates. It was Trump who did the mandates. It was, and certainly there was a mandate that happened under Trump. There's no doubt about it. But the mandates were primarily done by Democrat governors, and they were promoted by Democrat politicians in Washington, D.C., and Democrat news media on the cable news. That's what it was pushed. And every single publication you could possibly think of, that's what they were doing. They were pushing more mandates. Any state that opened up, which all happened to be red, by the way, isn't it interesting that the uh, the economy started to recover at exactly the same time that red states opened? Isn't that interesting? Kind of weird how that happened, right? Those jobs numbers that Biden is trying to take credit for, all of that was in red states. Huh. Kind of weird, isn't it? Transparent, predictable, yes, but still a little weird. So nonetheless, you know, they're going back there and they're saying, look, this the lockdown thing is a throwback to Trump. That's his legacy. That isn't Biden's legacy. Biden's never supported lockdowns. Lie. Biden's Biden actively promoted lockdowns. But I digress. It's an interesting way of phrasing this. And here's the thing. The news media is going to let them get away with it. The news media is going to spin for him. You just heard it. You just heard it. But they are going to continue to do that. And there will be tribalists out there who just refuse to accept reality, refuse to accept the truth. So let me let me ask this, because this is a question with Leanna Wynn that when she she and I asked this question when she said it, um, the day that she said it, well, day after she said it. And she says, all of a sudden, uh, we need to get rid of these mask mandates because the science has changed. Great. I'll ask her the same question that I asked Dr. Fauci. What science changed? And, and particularly what science changed in one to two weeks? Because there's no new studies published. I'm looking. There's no new studies. 
And if there was a new study, they wouldn't have cared anyway because there were dozens of studies that were published which showed that they were wrong. Casey was right. Other people like me were right. And they didn't care anything about those studies. Those studies were all pulled out of medical journals. Those studies were all memory hold. Anybody who promoted those studies on social media was banned or censored or the posts were taken down. Isn't it, isn't it funny that you get to this point now where they're, they're just straight up telling you, no, 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 the lockdowns and all the masks and everything, that was all Trump. But Biden's doing all this other stuff. So now they're gaslighting the entire history of COVID, which is exactly what they did with Trump's entire history of COVID when they gaslit everything that he did by pretending he wasn't taking it seriously when, in fact, he was the first one in the country to take COVID seriously. He did it months before anybody else, and Democrats tried to play it off that he was just trying to distract from the impeachment trial. Yet they were the ones telling you that COVID wasn't a real threat. COVID wasn't a danger. Don't buy masks. Don't let Trump scare you. He's just trying to distract from the impeachment trial. Come to Chinatown, Nancy Pelosi said. Nobody's sick here. Remember when, when de Blasio said, yeah, come to the parade. There's, there's, there's no threat. There's no risk. Nobody's getting sick. Just Yeah, just come on. Just come on. Well, now they're doing it again. Trump's the guy responsible for, for uh, the, the lockdowns and the mandates and everything else. They're, of course, never going to give him credit for the vaccine. That just It's rare that one time that Biden did it, of course, it was seen as a political mistake, and he was told not to do it again. This is how they're operating. And, and the, here's the thing. As long as you let them get away with it, I'm speaking specifically to you Democrats out there. As long as you let them get away with this stuff, we are never going to recover as a country. It's not going to happen. You have to hold their feet to the fire as well. You've got to at least try and stand up for truth. People like Tulsi Gabbard are trying to do that. They're being attacked for doing it. You know, Tulsi Gabbard is a Democrat. There's no mistaking on this. She is clearly not a Republican. She's not a conservative. But Tulsi Gabbard is a reasonable person. And she spots a lie. She calls it out. When she sees something isn't working, she mentions it. When she sees Biden and other Democrats lying to all of you about various things or the media lying to all of you about various things, she calls that out too. That's what we need more of. We desperately need more of that. And people, unfortunately, are just unwilling to do it because of their little tribes. We got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Hey, good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I want to thank R&B Car Company locations in South Bend and Warsaw. R&B Car Company are your used car experts. Find them online at rbcarcompany.com. A University of Notre Dame, the part-time Catholic university, is using signage around the campus to publicly shame unvaccinated students. A new sign showed up at the university's on-site testing site in the Joyce Center. The sign says, tired of testing because you aren't vaccinated? Get the shot. Huh. Wow. Um, 
pretty sure that's unchristian. I, it, some of you are going, well, Catholics are Christian. I, I get it. Stop. We're not, in, we're not into the philosophical debates or any of that stuff. I, I'm just pointing out that there's a whole lot of Bible verses that say that this is wrong. Many of them. The Notre Dame has strict COVID-19 vaccination and booster requirements. According to the Notre Dame website, members of the Notre Dame community are required to be fully vaccinated against COVID-19. Of course, a uh, friendly reminder that the vaccines don't prevent you from getting it and they don't prevent you from spreading it. There is uh, some limited research that shows that the vaccines in older populations or those with uh, some, but not all, some comorbidities that they, they face reduced serious effects from the covid and possibly reduce chances of death, although that is inconclusive in the research. Uh, but there is zero data that shows that it slows down the spread of COVID. In fact, the data actually shows much the opposite. Um, it doesn't prevent you from getting it, doesn't prevent you from spreading it. So again, what is the point of having people who are not susceptible to COVID anyway in that age bracket from shaming them in this fashion? In a very unchristian way at a Supposedly a private Catholic high school or a college, eh, basically high school, let's be honest. Uh, to be considered fully vaccinated, students, faculty, and staff must receive two shots of the Pfizer or Moderna vaccines or a single shot of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Um, and again, friendly reminder, Johnson & Johnson does not work against Delta, does not work against Omicron, and a single shot is ineffective against the two prolific strains. I don't know what to tell you. So much so that the CDC says you shouldn't use Johnson & Johnson. That's how ineffective it is. The university also plans to boot students from campus who are vaccinated but not boosted. Oh, isn't that nice? Students who have been vaccinated for COVID for more than six months have not received an exemption from the booster requirement and failed to upload documentation of their booster vaccine by the end of the day. On Friday, uh, January 21st will be considered not compliant after January 21st. Non-compliant students will be required to participate in weekly surveillance testing, which, of course, is what is happening. So you got the weekly t testing. You got to wear masks when indoors on campus. You have to quarantine for five days. You have to test negative before returning to normal activities if identified as a close contact. In addition, non-compliant students will be unable to participate in junior parents weekend or senior week activities and cannot register for the fall 2022 classes, according to Notre Dame's website. Uh, so, hmm, isn't that nice? So, again, just politely here, since I have been so right and Notre Dame's faculty has been so wrong, what is the reason for requiring students at Notre Dame who by each and every single statistic piece of research that exists are not in danger of COVID. What is the reason for requiring them to be vaccinated? Because the reason used to be they need to be vaccinated so they don't get the virus and they don't spread the virus to the old people who are teaching them in the classrooms. But that isn't what the vaccines do. So what is the reason behind it? I'm just, I know that many of you kind of understand where this is going. I'm genuinely, I'm praising this for people who are Notre Dame faculty because I know that many of you listen to this show because some of them, believe it or not, ladies and gentlemen, are like-minded. But this could be something that you could talk to your coworkers about. What is the reason now, knowing everything that we know 
now, not everything we knew over a year ago. What is the reason for mandating vaccines? Because these students are more susceptible to the flu than COVID, as far as death is concerned, or serious side effects. Not my data, CDC data. They can't slow the spread of COVID by being vaccinated. They can't end the spread of COVID by being vaccinated. They can still get it, and they can still pass it on to somebody else just as much as anybody else who's unvaccinated, who's never had COVID. So again, what is the reason to mandate students at the University of Notre Dame get vaccinated? And if they want to, by all means, please do. But what is the reason for trying to coerce them in violation of biblical philosophy at a Catholic university? What is the reason that you are trying to coerce them into doing it? Because it isn't about reducing the spread of COVID. That's a scientific fact. It isn't about preventing them from getting COVID. That's a scientific fact. And it isn't about protecting them from dying from COVID. That is also a scientific fact. So what exactly is the logic here? Notre Dame, Father Jenkins, anybody else? Or do you just want to go ahead and violate, again, your, your Catholic mission as a Catholic university? I'm starting at 100 Bible quotes about peer pressure here. You know, Galatians chapter 1, verse 10 comes to mind. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And since getting the vaccine doesn't serve God in any way, doesn't even benefit man, you have to wonder what the motivation behind the compelling of students to do it is, especially considering the undeniable connection particularly with young men with heart inflammation with these vaccines. Notre Dame is actually putting their young people at greater risk by mandating the vaccines than by not mandating the vaccines. Very unchristian of you, Notre Dame, but not a big shock because you're only part-time Christian Catholic University anyway. Most of the time you violate your own Catholic ideals. MNC News Time is 3.31. Time to check out Impress Jewelry Creations. Valentine's Day right around the corner. 20% off the entire store with some exceptions. Impressjewelers.com. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. Does your spouse wake up cranky in the morning? There's a good chance that they wake up cranky because the sheets are uncomfortable. So here's what you're going to do. You're going to go to MyPillow.com. You're going to click on the Giza Dream Sheets. You can now get them for 60% off as low as $39.99 for authentic certified Giza cotton uh, sheets. And this only, Giza cotton is known for being extremely soft. It only grows in one region of the world. And it's usually really expensive. So the fact that you're able to get this for 60% off for as little as $39.99, 
is a heck of a steal. You can also get a copy of Mike Lindell's new book as well, free. It comes with the purchase of 19, uh, well, uh, well, it's a value of 1997, excuse me. So you buy the Giza Dream Sheets, you can get whatever color you want, okay? 60% off with my promo code Casey for a limited time only. You can also get Mike Lindell's book for free. But you've got to go to MyPillow.com, use promo code Casey. You can also use my promo code by giving them a call at 1-800-544-8939. That's 1-800-544-8939. Remember to use promo code Casey to get that special 60% off for limited time only at MyPillow.com. All right. The Biden administration has now officially announced that they are going to recalculate U.S. COVID-19 hospitalizations to get a more accurate sense of COVID's impact across the country. So what is today? Wednesday? Three days this week? Three former conspiracy theories that are now accepted as fact. So now this one today, the Biden administration is admitting that the hospital COVID numbers are overinflated. Now, where have you heard that before? Now, here's the here's the real question, though, okay? Because we're coming into the midterm. So, look, the Democrats are in a full-fledged scramble here doing anything they can to find some issue they can run on. So they're going to memory hole what they actually did with COVID. They're going to pretend that they were the ones that beat COVID. They're going to pretend that it was all Joe Biden's doing. They're going to pretend they're the ones that ended the mandates and got you back to normal. We already warned you that this was going to be a strategy of theirs. They are starting to put it into place. It was always about politics. It was never about your safety. We've told you that for a long time now. The fact is, they have been overcounting hospitalizations for COVID from the very beginning. We've documented this. We've proven it to you. There's been numerous studies that have been done on it that prove the case. We've given you specific examples of how people are being counted as COVID cases in spite of the fact that they were not in the hospital for COVID. Anybody who's in the hospital and then catches COVID in the hospital is now counted as a COVID hospitalization. That's why I've told you, hospitalizations do not matter. Deaths and ICU admissions matter. Nothing else matters. Not positive cases where you stay at home, not hospitalizations None of those are relevant numbers at all. They are used by the media to manipulate you, period, end of story. That's all it is. And so I want to ask this question here, and you can answer it to yourself because you already know the answer. As the Biden administration goes back to recalculate COVID numbers to get an accurate number of real COVID hospitalizations since the, the, they are now admitting that more people have been counted as a hospitalized by COVID than, than actually happened, that they've been dramatically overestimated. Now that they're admitting that they're going to go back and they're going to change those numbers, do you think they're going to go back into the Trump administration and change those numbers when they were overcounting in the Trump administration? Or do you think they're only going to go back to the very first day that Joe Biden was in office and then recalculate those numbers? So that Joe Biden's numbers are smaller, but Trump's numbers still stay larger. What do you think they're going to do? Because right now, what's the big criticism? Joe Biden promised to beat COVID. Joe Biden promised to get COVID under control. Trump couldn't get under control because Trump didn't have a plan. Joe Biden says, I will stop it in its tracks. He has a plan, right? Wouldn't tell anybody what that plan was. Joe Biden gets into the White House and what happens? More people get sick under Joe Biden than Donald Trump. More people die from COVID 
under Joe Biden than Donald Trump. They've got to change that. Otherwise, they can't campaign on the issue. Yeah, you can say, well, look, yeah, we we beat COVID. COVID is over. But people are going to be able to go, no, the Omicron variant came out. Omicron variant didn't kill hardly anybody. Omicron took over. It basically became the normal, natural progression of a virus. And more people died and more people got sick under you, Joe Biden, in your first year in office than the entire time of of, uh, Donald Trump with COVID. That's not a winning strategy going into the midterm. So they have to, they have to change these numbers just like they artificially changed the jobs numbers to suddenly make Joe Biden this amazing jobs creator, right? Of course he's not, but they changed those numbers just like they changed the numbers under the Obama administration leading into the 2012 election. He was a net jobs loser until they retroactively changed years of data. And then suddenly he became jobs creator. Isn't that, isn't that amazing how that happened? So they have to go back in time now. I would bet all sorts of money here that they are only going to adjust the hospital numbers for Joe Biden's term and that they will not adjust the hospital numbers under Trump's term, even though we know that under Trump's term, they were overcounting those COVID COVID numbers. We know that. I would bet any amount of cash that that's what's going to happen here. Got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. Just got done telling you uh, day three of the week and day three of another conspiracy theory that ended up being true about COVID. So the Biden administration has admitted that they need to recalculate COVID numbers because it's over. They're vastly overcounted. Yeah, we know that. We've been telling you that for a long time. But you... And you know who you are. We're out there saying that was misinformation and that was not true. And of course, now everybody, everybody admits that COVID hospitalizations are overcounted. But again, here's the question before we move on. Here's the question. Are they going to go all the way back into 2020 to fix those hospital numbers? Or are they just going to stop at the first day of, of Joe Biden being in office? I think you know the answer to that. All right. What else do we have here? Local news. Saw the press conference yesterday. I got to admit, I was getting excited. I thought they were going to announce a gun buyback, and and it didn't happen because I was, you know, I was going to 3D print me some some boom stickeries and, and go get some uh, go get some money from the uh, the taxpayers, but it didn't happen. So Michiana Crime Stoppers launched a new program. Of course, we have this story at 953mnc.com. We've been talking about it all day. Gun violence is on the rise across the country. Yes, that's what happens when you defund police and you promote criminal activity. That's how that works, ladies and gentlemen. While criminally assaulted shootings are down in South Bend, they they, uh, they still saw 1,120 incidents of gun violence in 2021. So for South Bend, not too bad. That is why Michiana Crime Stoppers held a press conference on Tuesday to formally announce the significant step that they are taking to help combat gun violence. Since the very beginning, Michiana Crime Stoppers has been working to keep our community safe by providing you 
with a way to anonymously submit a tip, and frankly, it's been working. And that's true. A lot of people do that. They paid out, since 1983, they paid out over $1.1 million in rewards. And, you know, when I was doing the morning show, and uh, do they still do this on the morning show with, with Crime Stoppers? they still come in regularly and do a segment on, on the morning show? Yeah, they do? Okay. Um, so, you know, we used to do it with, with them all the time. It, new people are in charge now as other people have, you know, stepped down and gone on to other things. But, um, you know, it's it's still a, it's a great organization. They do a good job. You know, they solve crimes. They pay out money for, for tips that lead to something, and they have got a new one. And this new one is that they're going to pay a $1,000 reward if your tip leads to solving or arrest of a felony gun case. And this is what Lieutenant Miller was announcing at the press conference yesterday. So now this does not work for current cases, okay? This is only going forward. So it's not retroactive, okay? They're not doing an ex post facto thing here. So it's only for cases going forward. There'll be a $1,000 reward if your tip to uh, Crime Stoppers leads to solving or the arrest in a felony gun case. Those include shootings, armed robberies, felony weapons possessions, aggravated assaults, criminal recklessness, and intimidation with a deadly weapon. Uh, quote, this is our community. It is important for all of us to come together and make a stand and say that we don't want this in our community and we are not going to tolerate it. Now, look, there's a couple of reasons that they're doing this. The South Bend Police Department this is an issue with, with a lot of departments, but in the South Bend Police Department, particularly of the police departments that are around here, they have a major problem with citizens refusing to give them any information. And so I know that there's a lot of frustration with many of you out there who, you know, don't have any connection to law enforcement where you're like, you know, they got to do their job. They got to do. Well, if they're not there. They rely on the public to give them information so they can make those arrests. And the public just isn't talking to them. And there's a couple of reasons for that. There is an ingrained anti-police culture in many parts of South Bend. That has been fostered and nurtured by BLM and the defund the police movements. There have been a host of ridiculous allegations against the police department. There were, although it's been a while, there were some legitimate concerns about some of the the officers on the police department at one point in time. But at the same time, it's, you know, very few, far between. Once again, every time there was an alleged case, we would look at it, we'd find the evidence of it, and next thing you know, it's like, okay, well, the officers acted appropriately. There were times where officers stepped out of bounds. Sometimes those officers were not white. Just throwing that out there. But then you've got, you know, in these pockets of South Bend where there's this you know, gang climate and nobody wants to speak out against the gang because they're afraid because the gang has now threatened everybody. And, and if the if the police get any information, they target people in that area and they don't want to be targeted. They just want to be left alone. So this has become a bit of a problem. How do you get a handle on gun crimes in certain parts of, of the city of South Bend? Now, obviously, this covers all of Michiana, but particularly in South Bend, how do you get a handle on gun crimes in South Bend if nobody will talk to the cops about who's doing the gun crimes? And I know that the the popular thing to do is just blame the cops, but it's not all on them. The public has to help them. The public's the one that sees it. The public's the one that's there. The public's the one that has the information. They've got to pass it on or else nothing can really be done about it. So 
What's the next best thing? Cash incentives. And $1,000 isn't something small. So if you give a tip and you, you end up leading to the solving of a case or the arrest of somebody in a felony gun crime, we get a thousand bucks for Michiana Crime Stoppers. There's some other tiers as well that that are involved in all of this. And the full story, 953MNC.com. It'll be in the Daily Show Prep today as well. Uh, so definitely check it out. Hopefully this helps law enforcement in everywhere in, in Michiana, you know, be able to solve those crimes, but not just South Bend. It's just that South Bend's obviously the one that we, we talk about the most when we're talking about it. More coming up, 953MNC. Good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. Friendly reminder, this Friday, had some confusion yesterday. It is not next week. This Friday, that is in two days, I will be out at Monterey Mexican Bar and Grill for Pass the Mic at noon. That is February 11th. Two days. Today's the 9th. Tomorrow's Thursday, then there's Friday, and I will be at Monterey on Friday, February 11th, for Pass the Mic at noon, okay? We'll be upstairs, so once you go into Monterey Mexican Bar and Grill, you'll see the stairwell right there. Just go right up those stairs. That's where we're at. First come, first serve on the seats. Past couple of times we've done a Pass the Mic, people have had to sit downstairs underneath me, hoping to catch a glimpse of what I was saying upstairs, so... Do yourself a favor, try to get there early, and make sure you secure your spots. So pass the mic, Friday, noon, Monterey Mexican Bar and Grill, two days from now. All right. Uh, The American Communist Liberties Union is uh, suing. They're suing Indiana Attorney General Todd Rokita. And, of course, Abdul Hakeem Shabazz is behind this. What else is new? Anyway, Rokita held a press conference on October 14th of 2021 for credentialed media only. Shabazz was denied entrance because Rokita claims that Shabazz is not an actual journalist. Shabazz said that is absurd because he has been covering politics for almost two decades. Shabazz is an Indianapolis-based journalist. Uh, he is currently the editor and publisher of Indie Politics, a website that reports on Indiana government and politics. Now, here's the thing. Okay. This... I find this actually pretty funny. And the reason that I find this funny is, in spirit, I agree with Shabazz. But Shabazz's side of the aisle has always operated under the premise that unless you work for a credentialed media organization, you are not officially a member of the media, and therefore you cannot be a journalist. So I find this hysterical because everything is just totally flipped, right? Typically... Republicans and conservatives are okay with, uh, for lack of a better term here, bloggers, and that's somewhat derogatory for how this has evolved, So, but I'm just using that because I think everybody kind of understands what I'm saying at that point. Um, but there is no doubt uh, that he does cover politics. He has a whole website devoted to politics. He's just independent. And so philosophically, I think, uh, as an independent journalist that he should be able to get press access the other side of that and this would be Todd Rokita's side of that is well he doesn't work for a media organization he's on his own he's got his own website but that doesn't mean much and if he lets him in he's got to let everybody who has a blog 
that talks about Indiana politics in, and that could be problematic. There's some truth to that. And Shabazz would probably come back and say, well, I've been covering politics in Indiana for all of these years, and that makes me different. But seniority shouldn't be the outlier here because you could have somebody who's brand new who's doing the same thing, and why should they be shut out of a meeting with the attorney general simply because they haven't been doing it as long as Shabazz? For all we know, they could be better than Shabazz, right? So it it's interesting. Now, he does have a radio show on WIBC also on the weekends, uh, which is the big station in Indianapolis. So... I, you know, they're, he's got a point, okay? He's got a point. So now the ACLU has, has filed a lawsuit here. Uh, this goes to the heart of the First Amendment in our U.S. Constitution. If Attorney General Rokita can ignore this and ban me from his news conferences, then he can do it to anyone in the press corps, and that can't be good for democracy and transparency. By the way, um, again, just philosophically, I hope that Shabazz wins this thing, and here's why. Because I want to be able to use this case to walk into any event that I want. And nobody can do anything about it because I will have this case right here in my back pocket. So nobody can go, well, you're not, you're not in the news department, so you can't, you can't do that. That wouldn't matter now, would it? If Rakita is going to call for transparency or more openness when it comes to Hoosier public schools, then the least that he can do is practice what he preaches when it comes to his own office, said Shabazz. Uh, also selected a uh, to moderate a Republican Senate debate in 2018, uh, which then-candidate Rokita took part. On March 13, 2018, Rokita came on a WIBC program and said that Shabazz was a patsy for the debate commission. And for the record, Rokita is probably not wrong. So there's... <laughs> um, Shabazz and I have only had like one interaction with each other, and he didn't do very well. Uh, but it was a long time ago, and I don't even remember what the issue was about. Uh, but it, his take was so horrendously wrong and illegal. It was crazy. As the complaint notes, the attorney general's decision to ban Shabazz is based on either personal ant- antipathy or on the opinion that Shabazz's reporting is too liberal or perhaps based on both. In either event, the attorney general's decision to ban Mr. Shabazz from press events is not a viewpoint is not viewpoint neutral. Blocking a journalist from attending a press conference because. Uh, one does not agree with their reporting is a clear violation of the First Amendment. But this goes back to what the the far left on Shabazz's side of the aisle has been arguing for a number of years as the new media rose. Um, now we're in a climate where independent journalists are somewhat normal, right? we got Clifton French here, who is an investigative reporter. Uh, and what is what is the attack on Clifton French here locally? Clifton French probably wants Shabazz to win this thing, too. I haven't talked to him about it. But he probably wants Shabazz to win this as well because all of the arguments against Clifton French being an independent now, what do they call him? They call him a blogger. He's just some guy with a website. He's not a journalist. What are you talking about? He's a Murrow winning, he's an, he's an award-winning journalist, an investigative reporter who's worked for news agencies all over the country. But because he's independent now, he is portrayed by Democrats here in Michiana as just being a blogger. But... You go back in time when the rise of new media was happening, it was bloggers who were actually catching the news. It was the established journalists with press credentials who were not picking up the news stories, who were not covering actual news. It was the bloggers who were doing it. And it still is to this day. So Shabazz has got a point. 
his longevity in the state doesn't really mean anything. I know that he's using that as, as an argument, and I understand his reasons for using that as an argument. It makes sense for him to do that. But if Shabazz had only been operational for a year, it wouldn't really matter. Does he have a website for which he consistently is covering issues that would be relevant to this particular topic? And the answer to that is yes. And he's got a weekend radio show. Um, And I don't know if he pays for his weekend airtime or if it's given to him. I don't know. I don't know the, the, the terms of that. So... There's a part of me that wants him to win this. While I understand completely why Rokita doesn't want him around. There's a part of me that wants him to win this thing. Because it opens so many doors for independent journalists in this state. And it's a precedent setter. And the ACLU, which would never go to bat for somebody like Clifton French. I I wouldn't buy it for a second. I would be perplexed if it happened. But they're going to be in a position now where somebody like a Clifton French, I'm sorry, Clifton, I'm just throwing you into this because people know you in the audience as an independent journalist. But somebody like Clifton French would easily be able to throw that back in the ACLU's face if the ACLU didn't come to his aid. Say, wait a minute, hold on a second. You defended Shabazz. Why wouldn't you defend me? So the ACLU has filed this lawsuit. Uh, Like I said, I completely understand why Rokita didn't want him around. I do. So I guess this kind of comes into, is there any allowable control for the number of people that attend a press conference if you are a politician in the state of Indiana? Because that's what this is going to come down to. Because if Shabazz wins this thing, his history doesn't mean much. Does he have a presence where he discusses these topics? And as long as that exists then theoretically you'd have to grant him access, regardless of how long he's been doing it, because how long he does it is irrelevant. So do we have to let everybody who has a website who covers these things into a press conference? And what does that look like? Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? You're going to have your, your you know, by the way, uh, public, like public radio and stuff like that who might be cheering on Shabazz here. Eventually, they're going to get to a point where they don't like this because they're going to be sharing space and being limited in the questions that they can ask because there's going to be a bunch of people who are independent, who have their own website, who are out asking those questions now. And suddenly, there's not enough time for them to get called on. And then they're going to pitch a fit, and we're going to have to point back to this case. So there's legitimate arguments on both sides here. There really, truly is. You know, who gets to go to a press conference? Can the person holding the press conference limit the number of people from the media in attendance at the press conference. And if they can limit the number of people in the press conference, can they pick and choose which, which outfits get credentials to the press conference? That's a, that's an excellent question. Don't you think? So again, part of me just likes the chaos of it and wants Shabazz to win this thing. uh, Even though I completely understand where Rokita is coming from. Just because I want people like me, I want people like, even though I'm clearly, um, an, you know, I, I wear the investigative reporter hat part-time, uh, but I'm, I'm an opinion journalist, if you will. And people like me, people like Clifton French, were independent. Independent journalists need to be able to have a seat at the table. Because right now, independent journalists are the ones doing all of the work in the news media in the United States of America, period, end of story from the local level 
all the way up to the cable news, it's they're not doing the hard work. It's the independent people that are doing the hard work. And independent people deserve to have a fair shot at sitting in these press conferences. But if you do that, you have to open it up for everybody else. Whereas it used to be that, well, do you work for a, you know, well-known news agency? If you don't work for a news agency, you don't get to come in. But that's not the case anymore. Independent journalists are everywhere now. So you're going to have to give them a spot at the table. And sometimes that is going to mean that your your major news outfits don't get as much time to answer questions, and they're going to have to share the media room with other people. And they're not going to like that very much because that interrupts their monopoly. Which also, again, makes things more entertaining for me. More coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. Do want to remind you that you can go watch the live stream right now at theburningtruth.us. I will catch up on the podcast today. I'm a couple of days behind on the podcast. Apologize about that. Uh, setting up the studio upstairs and, you know, family stuff and everything else has kind of pulled my attention away a little bit. But uh, I will be catching up after the show today. And the new studio space, if you follow me on Telegram, you saw a picture of the unfinished on-air product. Got to get some artwork up there, add one more light, and we should be good to go. I got everything hooked up last night. Seems to be working pretty good. Did a quick little test today and and, uh, put a screenshot up there for all of you to see on what the new show is going to look like. But uh, once we get the artwork up there from my uh, studio sponsor, it's going to be amazing. So definitely check that out. Telegram at Casey, the host. All right. Yesterday gave you some very chilling stories about how the Capitol Police were breaking the law. And the Capitol Police were going into Congress people's office. And the Capitol Police were taking pictures of stuff. And the Capitol Police were going through their files, and the Capitol Police were doing this to, according to the complaint anyway, 33 members of Congress, every single one of them Republican. And the Capitol Police is not the only one that is doing things. The Department of Justice has been caught opening Representative Louis Gohmert's House mail before it reaches his office. So I repeat what I said yesterday. Do you understand what I am telling you? The Biden Department of Justice has recently caught opening Representative Louis Gohmert's house mail before it reaches office. One letter was from a Christian missionary. One letter was from a constituent in Texas. The Capitol Police have been caught. So like if you go to Washington, D.C. and you schedule a meeting with your elected representative, the Capitol Police are doing a full investigation of you which they're not supposed to do. There's no probable cause. And once again, uh, let's see, when Louis Gomer posted this statement on Twitter earlier on Tuesday in January, my staff received a letter addressed to my office, my official office from a Christian missionary, which is already open and stamped DOJ mailroom with a date and X-rayed on the stamp. Last week, my office received a second piece of mail from a constituent mailed from East Texas and postmarked September 2021. It took four and a half months to reach my office and was also opened 
and bore a stamp from the DOJ. Now, that constituent is probably thinking, sucky Louis Gohmert talks a big game on TV, but he still won't respond to my mail. And that is because the Department of Justice took his mail and made it vanish for four and a half months. It is deeply concerning that legislative branch mail is somehow being commingled with executive branch mail when we have completely different proprietary zip codes. We are separate but co-equal branches of government. Even if it were a mistake to deliver Congress's mail to the DOJ, the DOJ has an obligation to immediately notify Congress and forward the mail without opening it. It is gravely concerning that since congressional mail is constitutionally protected under the speech and debate clause of the Constitution, it could be routed intentionally or not through the highly partisan DOJ. This is felonious behavior. And I alluded to the speech and debate clause yesterday when I was talking about the Capitol Police. Members of Congress have all of the protections to go about their business without being harassed by an executive branch law enforcement agency used to intimidate them. Given reports breaking today of an inspector general's investigation being opened after another Republican member alleged Speaker Pelosi's Capitol Police were in his personal office photographing his work product, the Democrats spying on political opponents appears to know no end, Louis Gohmert said. But wait, there's more because the Capitol Police have released a statement on why they were in the other Texas representative's office. And their statement, shall we say, is very interesting. MNC News Time is 4:30. All right, I want to talk about I want to talk about the Elkhart City Council and the um, the patheticness of this organization as we as we know it. And honestly, this is I'm I'm getting a little sick and tired of. Uh, frankly, weak people in our government and lazy people in our government. And lazy means two different things. One, refusing to actually read something and pay attention to it, and also the laziness to actually engage in a fight that is worthwhile, particularly when it's about kids. So let me let me kind of tell you what's happening. You go to 953MC.com. Elkhart Council opposes state legislation on taxes and teachers. Okay, So the article is up there. It talks about the two resolutions uh, one was reducing business taxes. Of course, schools always, um, you know, oppose reducing business taxes. And the other one involves the 1134 bill, which we have talked about many, many times from the House, which is now sitting in the Senate, past the House, sitting in the Senate. And basically what that bill does is requires teachers to post all lesson plans online before the start of the school year and for parents to have access to those lesson plans and to be able to opt their kids out of certain plans based on certain criteria. They can't opt them out of math. They can't opt them out of science or anything like that. This is purely based on certain social curriculum, okay? And what is interesting about this is, frankly, uh, local teachers and teachers' unions have straight-up lied about it. I know you're shocked about that one. They even got Stephen Colbert to say that they can be thrown in prison. No, you can't. Shut up and stop lying. No, you can't. So the average person out there who doesn't want to read, you know, a few pages out of like a, an eight-page bill or whatever it is, you know, they, because not all of this bill pertains to uh, the curriculum aspects of it, but they're just, they're too lazy to do it. 
And so the average person out there is, I don't want Mrs. Smith thrown in jail. Well, she won't be. So you go over to this uh, other article about it. I'm not going to cover HB 1002. That's the uh, lower the number of business taxes that are available. Schools are like, oh, well, he's like $3 million, whatever. Uh, the other one is HB 1134. And this one, which... I wouldn't be surprised if this thing gets amended in the Senate and sent back to the House. I wouldn't be surprised. And frankly, that wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing either. But I want you to know what HB 1134 is because the teachers unions, some teachers, some community activists, they're just lying to you about it. I know that I've covered it before, but I want to take some time and actually go over this. And if you have questions, give me a call. 574-2595-953. I will take those phone calls. But you have to understand something. The teachers unions consistently lie to you about legislation. They are activists. They don't give a damn about your kids. They don't care much about the teachers. They care about making money. That's what they do. And this is why I have shown you over and over and over again, the American Federation of Teachers and the National Education Association consistently telling you this isn't about kids. We don't, we're not here fighting for kids and you know, access to education, everything. We're fighting for power and influence. That's what they are doing. That is their goal in life. So they talk about some uh, proponents of the bill saying that they want transparency between parents and schools and that many educators say it's meant to control uh, what they're allowed to teach students. Yeah. You have curriculum for a reason. I got news for you. Does anybody out there honestly think that teachers haven't been controlled about what they could teach in the classroom up until now. They always have been. Always. There is curriculum that needs to be followed. Some school districts have a little latitude that a teacher can teach something as long as it falls within the confines of approved curriculum. You are never allowed to deviate from the curriculum, which is why every time a teacher does so with social justice crap, they get punished for it. You're not allowed to do it. There has never been an example in the public educational system where teachers were not required to stay within the guidelines of curriculum that is approved by the school district. The school district approves curriculum based on what has been approved at the state level. This is not difficult. Yet they're running around and they're telling you, I have a right to teach whatever I want in the classroom. And they're trying to take that away from me. That's a lie. That's not accurate. It is 100% false. So now, parents want transparency. Parents want to know what is being taught to their kids. Why do they want to know what's being taught to their kids? Because the COVID pandemic and e-learning exposed all of these parents to the crap that was being taught to their kids. And we aren't talking about the classic literature. We're not talking about math. We're not talking about science. We're talking about books that have graphical depictions with illustrations of people performing sexual acts on one another. We are talking about books that can only be useful for grooming and certainly are not age appropriate in elementary schools, maybe, perhaps, with a permission slip, in high school. That's the issue. Teaching that you're bad because of the color of your skin. Teaching that you are automatically not going to be successful because of the color of your skin. Those are things that have no business in the classroom. Period. End of story. And parents, frankly, 
ticked off that this stuff keeps making their way into the classroom. I read a story before the show today. This is not in this state. Five-year-olds, five-year-olds, I'm going to say this again. Five-year-olds were forced by their teacher to march in a Black Lives Matter protest. Five-year-olds were forced by their teacher to march in a Black Lives Matter protest. If you think that's okay, you have no business being around children at all. You are a twisted individual if you think that's all right. So let's let's go over one of these statements from one of the teachers who spoke out. Not the teacher. I don't care about the te- teacher's lying. The teacher basically said, if I had the power to indoctrinate my students, they would turn in all of their work, whatever. It's a nice line, but it's that's not what this is about. The parent, okay? The parent from Elkhart spoke against the bill. Parents have a job to teach their kids hard things. Yes, they do. And that is the parent's job to talk about difficult things. Agreed. To introduce literature that is difficult. I agree. But she's putting that responsibility where it belongs. On the parent. Okay? I'm always really grateful that my kids come home with books that I haven't read. Okay? It forces me to read them too. That's great. And it forces me to see different things and have conversations. Oh, well, that's awesome. Nobody's changing that. You realize the quote in the local news about this parent who is speaking against HB 1134 only highlights that the parent has no idea what 1134 is about. None. Here's the thing. HB 1134 would actually allow this parent to know what books their kid was going to read throughout the year before the kid got the book so she could get a jump start on it. She doesn't like that idea? She says she just she just said she liked the idea of her kids bringing this stuff home so she could read it too. Well, now you're going to get a master list at the beginning of the year so you can get a jump on it. And then when your kid gets the book, you can talk to them about it. Hey, got to chapter three yet? Some big stuff in chapter three. Probably want to talk about it. She doesn't want to do that suddenly because she just said she did. Which tells me this parent has no idea what in the world HB 1134 is about. So I'm going to tell you what's in HB 1134. I'm going to, you're dealing with some political legislative language. I'm going to do my best to make it as easy, make it as possible. I'll explain it. You need to understand what this bill is what it does and what it doesn't do because everybody's lying to you about this right now. We got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. All right, I may run out of time here. So House Bill 1134. Education Matters defines a qualified school requires each qualified school to post certain educational activities, not all of them, certain educational activities and curricular materials on the school's Internet website. It provides that public records that are available on a qualified school's Internet website shall be exempted from public records requests for individuals that have access to the Internet. So if they post stuff on their school website, you don't need a FOIA request to get access to it anymore because you can just go to the website and get the materials. You don't have to go through this extra step and deal with government bureaucracy and red tape. It requires the school corporation or qualified school to add functionality that allows parents of students in the school corporation 
to opt in or opt out of certain educational activities and curricular materials under certain conditions. It doesn't allow you to opt out of math. Seen that one online. What stupid people we have out there. It provides that the governing body of a school corporation create a curricular materials advisory committee, which is comprised of parents, teachers, administrators, and members of the community. So basically what happens is this committee gets together and they discuss what will and will not be allowed in the classroom outside of your normal, uh, your normal basic subjects, okay? And the community with educators, with faculty members, and with parents will be able to meet on a regular basis to decide these things so the curriculum can be established and everybody has a say in what happens in the classroom. Uh, let's see. It provides that a state agency, state educational institution, school corporation, or qualified school, or an employee of the state agency, educational institution, corporation, or qualified school, in an official capacity, may not promote certain concepts as part of a course of instruction or in a curriculum or direct or otherwise compel a school employee or student to adhere to certain tenets relating to the individual's sex, race, ethnicity, religion, color, national origin, or political affiliation. Okay? So you're not going to sit there and attack certain groups of people based on those categories. And you're not going to promote certain groups of people based on those categories. You know, there's a federal law which already does this in how we govern our jobs. They just want it applied to curriculum as well. It provides that a state agency, school corporation, qualified school or educational institution, or an employee of the, those um, acting in official capacity may not require an employee of the school corporation uh, to engage in training, orientation, or therapy that presents any form of racial or sex stereotyping or blame on the basis of sex, race, ethnicity, religion, color, national origin, or political affiliation. Does any of that sound controversial to any of you? Of course not. It provides that a student should not be required to participate in a personal analysis or an evaluation or a survey that reveals or attempts to affect the student's attitudes, habits, traits, opinions, beliefs, or feelings without parental consent. So we've had a lot of these stories showing up as well, where you've got these, uh, these teachers giving these very inappropriate surveys to their students, asking about sexual activity at very young ages, which is none of the school's uh, business anyway, asking about the personal home lives, the political beliefs of parents, things of that nature. None of that stuff is going to happen in schools if HB 1134 happens without the parent giving permission first. There's a little bit more. I will cover it on the back end of this just so you have an idea of what's actually going on. Yeah, we are keeping an eye on, you know, some semi-breaking news here. There's a heavy police presence at Lakeside Apartments uh, right here in Mishawaka. We're keeping an eye on it. There doesn't appear to be imminent danger. The officers that are outside are pretty lax. They're pretty calm. They're not taking up a tactical position, but uh, there's a lot of them there. So we'll keep you up to date on anything. that, And it ends up um, making itself known before the end of the show. I was just going over basically just the summary of House Bill 1134. It is 54 pages. Uh, several of those pages are definitions. You can get past all of that. You don't need to worry about it. Uh, and you can read the bill. I was just telling the live stream, I find it a little ironic that a bunch of people who are saying that this would damage the ability to read books in the classroom 
won't even read the bill to figure out what the bill is. Yet a parent who testified against it, and that parent doesn't know what the bill does, yet they were quoted in the news media. But the Elkhart Common Council, uh, was it 8-1, to one? voted against it. Brian Thomas is the only one that voted, uh, well, they opposed the bill, ultimately passing 8-1. Uh, to one. Councilman Brian Thomas voted against opposing the bill. So here's, here's where we left off. We, we left off that HB 1134 provides that a student shall not be required to participate in a personal analysis, evaluation, survey that reveals or attempts to affect the student's attitudes, habits, traits, opinions, beliefs, or feelings without parental consent. So you can't give a survey that we've been seeing popping up all over the country that are highly inappropriate, that parents keep getting up in arms about, teachers keep getting fired for doing. You can't use those without parental permission, period. Which, for the record, is the policy pretty much everywhere in the country. It provides that if a school corporation or qualified school uses a third-party vendor in providing a personal analysis, evaluation, or survey that reveals identities, uh, collects, maintains, or attempts to affect a student's attitudes, habits, traits, opinions, beliefs, or feelings, that third-party vendor and the school corporation or qualified school may not collect or maintain the responses to or results of the analysis, evaluation, or survey in a manner that would identify the responses or results of an individual student. Okay? So it protects the privacy of students for certain things. It provides, with certain exceptions, that before a school corporation or qualified school may provide or administer certain mental, social, emotional, or psychological services to a student, that the school must provide the parent of the student or the student themselves if the student is an adult or an emancipated minor with a written request for consent to provide or administer certain mental, social, emotional, or psychological services. This isn't all that difficult. Now, this is where teachers are running online saying, well, if a, if a student comes to me with help, I'm not allowed to help them. That's not true. You just have to get permission from their guardian to provide certain services that are above and beyond normal services that you get at a school. And if there is a danger or a risk to the student at home, which would prevent that, there is a legal process already in place for you to follow that will go around that. Uh, what else do we have? It removes schools. This is another one that's being talked about. This, I think this is the one that Colbert screwed up on because, again, Colbert is Colbert and he's an idiot. It removes schools and certain public libraries from the list of entities eligible for a specific defense to criminal prosecution. Okay, So schools and libraries, um, they, they are given a specified defense in certain cases of certain things under the guise of it was educational material, we weren't trying to exploit children or what have you, okay? So it changes that a little bit. It alleges, one, the disseminating of material harmful to minors, or two, a performance harmful to minors. It also adds colleges and universities to those entities eligible for a specified defense 
uh, to criminal prosecution alleging the same thing. So this is this is the thing here. You are not going to get plausible deniability to show, show pornography to students in your classroom and use the status of an educator to protect yourself against prosecution. That would be removed. That's it. And the material has got to be shown to be harmful and not have a genuine educational purpose. That is in the bill. If you read the bill, you will see it. Now, I know that I was just going over the summary there, and I have no doubt that some people only went over the summary and they read that and they go, what? I can't have any uh, protection from criminal prosecution if I show certain things to the students? No, if you show them porn, you can't. Because you're a pedophile and you deserve to go to prison. Now, if you can show that there was a genuine educational purpose for that material to be shown in school, you're fine. Plus, it will have already been reviewed by the new board that is being created of teachers, faculty, parents, and community members who would have already pre-approved the curriculum. And the curriculum would have been posted online for all parents to review and opt their kids out of already. So nobody should be surprised if something comes down in the classroom. I've used this example many times. Romeo and Juliet. There's a version of Romeo and Juliet that was done in the 1970s. Okay? Before they could show you that movie, this is always in your Shakespeare class. I don't even know if they show this one anymore in school. But before they show you that movie, first of all, You've got to be in high school. But before they would show you that movie, Romeo and Juliet, you had to take a permission slip home and you had to bring that permission slip back because there is a one-second scene where Juliet gets up and you see her chest and Romeo gets up out of bed and you see his butt. And you had to have permission from mommy and daddy to see that one-second clip Inside of school because it was a classic recreation of Shakespeare. But there's that one scene, that one scene in there for one second where you had to have permission. And then mom and dad can make a decision. Either you watch the movie in school or you go to the library and you do your homework. It's entirely up to the, up to the parent. They want to take that away. They don't want that anymore. The stuff that has been shown in classes is wholly inappropriate. And what you have is you got a bunch of teachers unions, you got a bunch of journalists, you got a bunch of blithering idiot activists out there on social media telling you they're trying to take away classic literature. No, the only one taking away classic literature are leftists right now who are trying to kill off to kill a mockingbird and any other classic piece of literature that has any reference to race whatsoever. The irony is palpable. So you can't have Huck Finn. You can't have To Kill a Mockingbird. You can't have any of those things in there which negatively depict slavery and racism. You can't have those in the classroom, but you can have positive pro-racism stuff shown in the classroom, and somehow that's okay. No. So just in summary, so everybody is crystal clear on this since people are lying about it or too stupid or lazy to read the 54 pages as it is online right now for you to read it in its latest form. It basically creates a commission of parents, teachers, 
faculty members, and members of the community who will get together and meet on a regular basis to decide what is and is not appropriate to be taught in class, and they can include those in the lesson plans. Then at the beginning of the year, the curriculum that has already been laid out for the teachers anyway, that curriculum will be posted online for all parents to see at the beginning of the year instead of having to request it later on. And because it's posted online, schools no longer have to worry about FOIA requests and fulfilling FOIA requests and the cost and the waste of time and effort to go through the FOIA requests, nor do parents have to worry about it because it'll all be online, easily accessible to the parent. You will not be allowed to steer a child based on protected classes that we already use in the federal, the federal law for workplace situations. It basically takes workplace issues and now applies it to the school. And you are not allowed to manipulate them by race, sex, ethnicity, religion, color, national origin, uh, political affiliation, any of those things. Okay, Gender's in there as well. You can't do any of that. And you can't say anyone is inherently bad based on any of those qualifications. In other words, you can't say all men are bad, all women are bad. You can't say all Republicans are bad, all Democrats are bad. You can't do that. You also can't give these surveys, which are designed to gather information about the student and their family to be used by the teacher at a later date in their online tirades and whatever else, as we found countless times over the past couple of years, have been showing up in public schools. Always not approved, by the way, in curriculum. Isn't that weirdo? Every time that happens, the school always says this is not a part of the approved curriculum. Well, you keep having teachers saying there is no approved curriculum. I can teach whatever I want. And these parents are trying to take that away from me, which is a lie. It's not true. You then can't use those surveys without parental permission. So you send a survey home and you go, I want to ask your eight-year-old if they're diddling themselves yet. And how they're diddling themselves and what they fantasize about diddling in the future. And if that's okay with you, hit check mark yes, and I will give them that survey tomorrow. If it's not okay with you, and you might be laughing right now in the car, that happened. That is not hyperbole. That scenario actually happened last year. So you can't do that anymore without parents' permission. And when you do do these sorts of things, you can't retain the information in a database. And you can't use a third-party group to come in and do it for you and then hand you the information later because that's a violation too. And you can't show harmful material to minors without the threat of prosecution. Harmful material only. Not lesson plans. Not math, not some arbitrary thing that mom and dad don't like. No, no, no. If you can show it has a genuine and legitimate educational purpose and a place in the classroom, you will be fine. And you will have this commission that is being created to protect you as a teacher from that ever happening. But the teachers unions are running around and telling you that if a kid is suicidal, you're not allowed to help them. That's a lie. That's not true. It's not even addressed in the bill. You've got teachers unions running around and telling you that they can be thrown in prison if they choose to teach a normal topic in the classroom. 
That is also a lie. That can't happen. It's addressed in the bill. But you've got a bunch of people running around pretending that they've read this thing and they haven't. So now you actually know what's going on. And here's why this is so important. We found out something yesterday from friends of ours about junior high school students in Elkhart Community Schools. I'm going to tell you all about it next, 95.3 MNC. Some other myths about HB 1134. If you just spend the time to read the bill, you don't, you don't need to not find supporting material to help students learn something that's in the curriculum. So if you have a lesson plan, students aren't getting it, you can still go find something that you didn't put on the website at the beginning of the year and use that as an assistant for that lesson plan. It just has to meet the curriculum requirements. That's it. Which is what happens now. Also, this notion that it's going to create so much more work for the teachers. One, no, it won't. Not if it's done correctly. And two, you're kind of doing that now with e-learning anyway. And three, grow up. It's your job. Deal with it. Like I said, I expect there to be some amendments to this. And I'm okay with a couple of the amendments that, that are floating around out there as possibilities including maybe not making it the entire year of lesson plans, maybe just quarter by quarter. I would be okay with that. I think most people would be okay with that if that alleviates some of the griping and complaining from some of the people who are really just paid operatives for the teachers union anyway. Now, why is this so important? We had some friends yesterday post online. We are talking about junior high school. Apparently, a friend of ours, teacher, almost every single day has to remind 8th graders in Elkhart Community Schools, 8th graders, to turn off their phones before class and during class and stop watching pornography on their phones. So this person posted this, and multiple other parents chimed in and said, yeah, that's a problem with our teacher, too. And then multiple people said, that's a problem at our school, too. So you realize that we have a problem in Elkhart Community Schools, and I assume elsewhere, that is routine that students are watching Pornhub before class and during class, and teachers are having to ask them to put their phone away and turn off the pornography while in class. And parents are not being told that their kid is watching Pornhub in school. The kid isn't getting punished? The parents aren't being told? Who watches Pornhub before school? Oh, I don't know. Kids that are shown graphic illustrations of sexual activity when they're in fifth and sixth grade. That's who. And if you think that's okay, you're probably a pedophile and you need to be away from children. MNC News Time is 531. More coming up, 95.3 MNC.
Good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. There's a lot of people out there responding to me on what I just said about what was revealed to us yesterday. And for the record, teachers don't teachers don't like it. The, the teacher in this particular classroom is furious that they have to do this every single day. But parents are furious, too, because now parents are finding out that pornography is being viewed in school, in classroom. The student's not being disciplined. The parents are not being notified. And that is at the heart of what HB 1134 is. That stuff needs to stop. Now, obviously, HB 1134 doesn't address the student engaging in that activity, but it does address teachers not being able to do that, not being able to present that. We have given you countless examples of this happening all over the country and right here in our community. I came on here, for those of you who remember, I came on here and I read from you some of the material that was being given to elementary school students. And as my newsman backup, Josh can attest, we were on a fine line. And I was editing what was actually in the book. Elementary school. Okay? When we get into high school, we get into people who are 16 and 17 and 18 years old, there's a different standard. But as I've said before, this is a very simple thing. And the fact that people are resisting against it shows you who they are. If it would be illegal outside of school to show them those materials, it should be illegal to show the materials in school. This is not difficult. What does HB 1134 do? It removes that limited protection from showing those materials that are illegal outside of the school and library environment inside the school and library. So really, it just creates a consistent legal code while allowing parents to be more involved in their child's education, to get a heads up on what their child is going to be learning that year so the parent can get involved as well, which schools have been telling us since the beginning of time they want parents to do, but now all of a sudden they don't want parents involved. They want to hide everything from parents. Why do you think they don't want you to see what your kid is learning in school? I've got one kid in public school. I'm going to go along here, Josh. I'm sorry. I got one kid in public school and I got one kid in private school. That will change next year. Public school doesn't tell me what my student learned. Private school, I get an email every single Friday that tells me everything my kid learned the previous week and how I can reinforce those lesson plans at home. Now, as a parent, which would you prefer? To not know what your kid is learning in school or to have a synopsis of everything that they were learning, a, basically a little bit of a, a view on what's happening next week so you can be involved in that process. One kid, we get nothing. Absolutely nothing. The other one, they tell us everything. That's all we're trying to get. Parents need to be involved in the process to prevent abusive curriculum and teachers from being taught to students because they're a captive audience. That's it. 
And it is undeniable that it has been happening in epidemic rates all across the country for years now. More coming up, 95.3 MNC. And good afternoon. Wrapping the show up. Want to thank everybody for hanging out in the live stream. More and more of you are coming over to the website, away from social media and Rumble and that sort of thing. I appreciate that. Uh, I still need you to subscribe on Rumble because videos are going to be going up on Rumble starting next week. And you need to you need to be subscribed to get those notifications. Friday at 12 noon, past the mic at Monterey Mexican Bar and Grill in Mishawaka. We'll be upstairs at the Mont at Monterey Mexican Bar and Grill. Friday at noon. Okay, noon to 2, Friday afternoon on the 11th. That's two days from now. Pass the mic, Monterey Mexican Bar and Grill. Had some confusion about that yesterday. Fri- I'm going to say it again, Jeff. Friday, two days from now, on the 11th, pass the mic, 12 noon, Monterey Mexican Bar and Grill. See you then.